0: Good morning. morning. It's good to be here with you again today. It's a special uh, blessing to have Janice here with me. I uh, often mention her and uh, last time I was here I told you she was at home with uh, both knees being replaced and all of that. wasn't able to travel. She is back. We had boys in our home for the last uh, however many, 25 years, and we thought after 18 they would leave and we'd be traveling together for all of these, but they boomerang, as you know, and come back home at times, so often when I'm here, she's uh, with them at church and enjoying their fellowship, but good to have my wife back with me today and walking and everything, so glad uh, many of you have already greeted her. Uh, It's great to be here with you. Greetings again from Crown College. Uh, We have a great class of students this year. We have, of course, all four years, but uh, this class that came in, especially interested in the things of the Lord and engaged in Bible classes. And uh, as I'm teaching this uh, semester, freshman year, just an example, this last Thursday, after a morning Old Testament history, hour and 15 minutes, I won't speak quite that long this morning, just so you know, but after a full hour and 15 minutes, a couple students stayed after to ask a couple questions. We went out into an open area and talked and spent a little over an hour after the hour 15 of class. So uh, they were that interested, had that many questions, had a great time together there. So... Good things are happening at Crown College. Just wanted to bring you word as we're your college there. Uh, With that, we're going to be looking today into 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'll give you a moment to get there. Not uh, always the first place everybody has their Bible uh, creased to here in the Old Testament. But when I come, I often bring the Old Testament to you. Excitement, exciting things that are happening there. In fact, last time I was here, we started kind of a a four-message series. I know it's going to be interrupted by sometimes weeks or months here as I'm able to come. I would appreciate Pastor Greg's invitation. And the Lord knew that he would need this week off. He had other plans, but be praying for him and his recovery. Um, But glad to be here for this. Last time we talked about the true source of life. Today we're going to talk about the true source of power. Let's bow together as we look into the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have communicated to us your truth. You give us that truth in so many forms, in those propositions of thou shalt and thou shalt not, in personal letters in the New Testament, of pastors to churches, and in stories, the history of your salvation the ways in which you met people in every generation over the course of the Old Testament. Today, as we look at Elijah's life and his ministry, and we see the focus of that ministry again today, I pray that we might understand its connection to our lives and our time. May we understand that you are the one and only God and that you are the true source of everything that we experience. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, one true source of life. Last time I was here, one true source of power today. a friend. I was telling a friend about uh, preaching this series, and I said, you know, I'm going to be talking about the one true source of life and power and fulfillment. And, and he said, uh, it's going to be a pretty short series of sermons, isn't it? One true source of power? God. Amen. You can all go home, right? So I told him I would not be quite that brief, and you will find that to be true today. We have an exciting passage of Scripture, a long section of Scripture here, but we'll read much of it in big sec- big chunks here because it's a story. We want to get the flow of the story, not stop on every verse and dissect it, but get the overall feel here. But as we think about our own culture, David Kinnaman who works for the Varna Group, research group, does surveys of... Uh, Of churches and culture at large. He's written a book entitled You Lost Me Why Young Christians Are Leaving the Church and Rethinking Faith. Interesting, as he wrote this in the second part of this book, in the ninth chapter, a section or a a chapter called Exclusive, which is not a very popular thought today to say that there is one truth. Uh, we have to be accepting of all truths and all per- perspectives and so on. Uh, but in this uh, chapter, uh, he makes the point on recentering on Jesus. The section is entitled, Intolerable. And let me read uh, just about a paragraph. I have a key quote on the slide. but We undersell Jesus. We merely describe Jesus as a partner. Jesus as a means. Jesus as an escape. We seldom present Jesus as the source and center of all that he is. In our failure to do so, we leave young seekers hungry and unsatisfied. We lead them to think that they must satiate their God-given desire for joy and fulfillment and power in something else. They look for it in fun, in family, in business, or in cultural goods, or holiness, or purity, sex, or adventure. All of these are good, but none of them are ultimate. And so these young seekers wander, looking, but never finding. Tell the next generation the truth. Jesus is the only source and must be the center for every person. This, uh, uh, this last month, two three weeks ago, we got together with a couple of uh, Crown students, former Crown College students. Uh, one had been through a year and a half or so of Crown College and then is off doing other things. The other one graduated from Crown College. Good, solid foundations, good, solid homes, raised in the church. We got together with them just to see how they were doing. They're both in their mid-20s now. And as we got together and talked, it became apparent very quickly that they had lost their center, that they had lost an understanding of the one true source of life and of power. They had bought into what the world is selling, which is any truth is good. In fact, all truth is good. As long as you believe in something and whatever the cultural wave, the wind that blows is good enough for them, there's no one true truth. (laughs) In fact, Jesus has a part of this truth, and uh, Islam has a part of this truth, and on and on and on the uh, conversation went. In fact, we talked for over two hours. One of them had to leave. The restaurant we were in was closing, so we went to a nearby coffee shop and spent another two hours with the other one talking about whether there's one true God, one true source of life and power. It was a very discouraging, disturbing talk to see how even solid youth raised in the church, gone to a Christian college, are wandering in the winds of this culture. The solution, really, for these two young men and for you and for those that you're influencing is to identify and demonstrate that there's one true source of power. Elijah does that for us. Remember last time I was here, if you do remember that, we had the story of Elijah who confronted Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab the new king in the land, Jezebel a foreign wife who brought with her the uh, the gods that she worshipped. They began worshipping Baal and Asherah. These were fertility cults. We talked last time probably at too much length about the uh, sexual nature of even the worship that went on in these fertility cults and how off-center that took the whole country. Our own society follows that same pattern. But uh, Elijah then ran off to a brook and uh, was fed by ravens and watered there. Then he went to a, a widow in Zarephath and the widow there provided food for him, physical life, and ultimately understood eternal life as her son died and was raised back to life by Elijah, the one true source of life. Today, looking at the one true source of power, where our society and Elijah's society had sold out to sex and to substances and to every other imaginable source looking for life, they really only found dissatisfaction, death destruction. We're experiencing that as well today. First Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, picks up the story for us. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. After a long time, after that third year, he'd been out in the wilderness for a while with the widow in Zarephath for a while. It's been three and a half years now, and he comes back to Israel And I'll continue the story and not uh, interrupt as we go here so we get the flow of the story. Uh, The word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord, while Jezebel was killing the Lord's prophets... Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and the valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction, Obadiah in another As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied, go tell your master Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you're handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord lives, there is not a nation or a kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when you leave. You've been in hiding for three and a half years. If I go tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet, I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, that what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And how, now you tell me to go where my mas- to my master and say, Elijah's here? He'll kill me. Elijah said as Yahweh almighty lives whom I serve I will surely present myself to Ahab today Never fear Obadiah you can go tell him I will not leave I won't hide I'll be here waiting for him Now as we looked last week we noticed some of the fun of the story last not last week last time I was here right remember Uh, Elijah ran away from Ahab and Jezebel because they were out to kill him, but the Lord, with sort of a wink and a nudge and a little irony, hit him with the widow in Zarephath. Zarephath is uh, Jezebel's homeland, right? Where Jezebel came from, I can hide you in a pagan land where they're worshiping false gods, where the queen who wants to kill you, that's her hometown, I can hide you there, it's no problem. With a widow who is... Poor. In fact, she is starving to death, and I can bring you there and feed you. And all of the ironies that were set up in that story. Even that widow and Zarephath recognized Yahweh as the only true God, the only source of power. But Israel has missed the point. Now he's back, and he goes to uh, Obadiah. Obadiah is stunned. In fact, Obadiah is told here by Elijah go and tell. Ahab, Elijah is here. You might have wondered, why is Obadiah reacting to this message? Remember the Hebrew, and I'm teaching just a little Hebrew. I teach a lot of Hebrew, a crown, but just a little this morning. Elijah's name, Eli, my God, is Yah, Yahweh, Elijah. So go tell Ahab, Yahweh, my God, is here. Stand before Ahab, who's killing all Yahweh worshipers, and tell him my God is Yahweh, is here to meet you. Right? Obadiah is not sure he really wants to do that, and he's not sure he, Elijah's going to be there when uh, Ahab comes to meet him, so he panics a bit, and we have that end of that section where he is pushing back, saying, really? I'm not sure we should do that. Notice Ahab is powerless in this story. There's some more irony for you. Ahab is out trying to find some grass in the field somewhere in a valley where he can feed his animals. His people are starving to death. There's been a famine for three and a half years to make the point that Yahweh is the only one who sends rain, not Baal. Baal is the storm god who's supposed to send rain on the land and make it fertile. There won't be any rain as long as you look to Baal for that. And Ahab, is with his own people starving to death, he's out trying to keep his animals alive. I mean, Ahab is just off-center in this whole story. Meanwhile, Obadiah. Some more irony. you just got to catch what's happening here. If you were a Hebrew reader reading this in Hebrew, you would catch some of this. So let me point it out to you. Um, Obadiah, his name, Obed means servant. Obadiah means I serve. Do you hear the end of the name? Obadiah, like Elijah. Right? That Yah. I serve Yahweh. That's his name. I serve Yahweh. But what, let me ask you, what is Obadiah's job? What is his position? What does he do for a living? I read it at the beginning. This is the interactive part. Keep you with me. What's his job? Who does he work for? Ahab. He works for Ahab taking care of the palace, right? Now remember, there's a famine. There isn't enough food and water in the land, and yet Obadiah serves Yahweh, and he has taken a hundred prophets that Ahab and Jezebel are trying to kill and hidden them in two caves, kind of strategic in case they're ever found out. You won't get all of them. you will only get half. So he's hidden them, and he is supplying them with food and water, There isn't enough for most people to live on themselves. He's feeding and bringing water to a hundred prophets. Where would he get that kind of provision? At the palace. He oversees Ahab's palace. And Ahab and Jezebel are trying to kill prophets of Yahweh. Obadiah, I serve Yahweh, is working for the palace to make the money and get the provisions to do God's work, the one true God. Yahweh. All that's kind of circling in the background of this story. A lot of irony thick here that he is serving Yahweh even though he works for Ahab. That might describe many of you. I mean, we work in the real world here. We work to make a living. The place you work might not be a a God-rich environment where you're free to talk about your faith and so on very much, especially in the culture we live in, where the only Uh, thing you can be intolerant of is exclusive worship of one God. You really can't talk about that very often in the world. The world doesn't accept that message. So similar to Obadiah here, but Obadiah is about to recognize the one true power he's been worshiping, the one true God is going to rule even over the palace, even over the king and the queen. Now, we wrestle with this in our society, in fact, in this season of our nation's history, we're wrestling with power, right? If you've watched the news, it's hard to watch the news some days, but uh, if you watch the news, there's uh, an impeachment trial going on right now, and the key uh, turning point in that trial is, was there an abuse of power, right? And whether whichever side of the aisle you're on doesn't matter here for the sake of this message. In fact, um, Both sides are vying for power and in about nine months, we'll be voting to see who will be in power next in our country as president. So power in political power, national power, all of that is on center stage in our society. And yet, uh, we're really missing the point of true power. Samuel Rodriguez points this out for us. He is, I updated the slide here, he's the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. He has written a book entitled The Lamb's Agenda. And in that book, he makes the point that when we think of power, it really isn't about the donkey or about the elephant, about Republican, about Democrat. The real source of power is the Lamb of God. Not the donkey or the elephant, the lamb. That's where true power is. If you want to be convinced of that, read the book of Revelation. Read it in a one sitting. Read through and see the victory of the Lamb of God. The one true source of power is God. Elijah knows that one true source of power. Obadiah knows it, but he's a bit shaky in our story. He's not overly convinced. But the story continues. Verse 16. Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals, the false gods. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Ahab and Jezebel are feeding false prophets. Obadiah has been feeding prophets of Yahweh. And Elijah is going to call them all together. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And how did the people respond? Correct. They said nothing. Most of you had that right. Right? They said nothing. (laughs) Which one's really God? You tell me right now, Baal or Yahweh. And the people aren't sure. The people don't know who has the true power. Notice in this confrontation, Ahab is weak. In fact, the first thing he does when he sees Elijah is blames Elijah for the problem and name calls. Whenever you see name calling and blame and all of this going on, you realize the weakness of the person, and we see it every day on both sides of our political aisle. It ought to give us a clue that there isn't a lot of power that's claiming power these days. Uh, This name calling, this uh, radical, you troubler of Israel... You know, he serves that over the net to uh, Elijah. Elisha spikes it right back. I'm not the one causing trouble. You're causing trouble. So they kind of go back and forth here. And then the confrontation comes to the people. How long? Choose. How long will you keep wavering between two opinions? Translations wrestle with that Hebrew phrase a number of different ways. Yours might be different than waver between two opinions. It's actually a word picture in Hebrew. How long will you keep walking on legs that are uneven. You are stumbling along, you're faltering, you're teetering between these two opinions as if you're about to tip over. Janice and I have wrestled with this, with having two knees replaced six weeks apart, and which side do I walk on to hold her up with the weak leg and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, That's the people. That's our culture. Those are the people around you. The people around you in the world, in your neighborhoods, in your workplace. They think there are many truths, many sources of power in their life. And when you ask them, what's the true source? The one central, not really sure there even is one central. They're they're off balance. And uh, Elijah is going to confront them with this. Uh, Joseph Boot has written a lengthy book. Uh, entitled The Mission of God. It's a a manifesto of uh, hope for society. I have just the picture of the book up in the corner here, and I have a key quote again for you on the slide. But let me read, again, just one paragraph from this book. The biblical answer to man's powerlessness is not social liberation and transfers of wealth. A man may be wealthy and exceedingly influential, yet impotent, in life. Just look at our celebrity culture. You find that to be true. The end result of all rebellion against God is frustration and powerlessness. There is only one true source of power. The scriptures tell us you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts 1.8. Rich or poor, we can be clothed with power from on high. Luke 24. Because God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 2 Timothy. When Christians preach Christ as the deliverer and the Holy Spirit as the source of life and power, when we live these realities out in our life, it'll be clearly seen that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining 1 John chapter 2 the true source of life the true source of power is the one true god when we focus on the one true god and what he does in our life and the world around us it should be a shining light and a testimony to those around us i'm afraid One reason the world has lost its way, our nation has lost its way, our young people have lost their way, like those young people I was talking to a few weeks ago, is because we haven't demonstrated that true power in our lives. We haven't allowed God to be the one true source of life and power. We haven't made that clear. The Israelites needed to know this. They needed to see that power. And Elijah is about to show to them. Let's continue reading in verse 18. Sorry, let me uh, move on to verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, these are the people who are wavering and not sure. Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. And let them cut cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on an altar of wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, I will call on the name of Yahweh. Notice Lord, all capital letters there, Yahweh. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Let's settle this once and for all. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. (laughs) Call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifice, But there was no response. Did you catch that? No one answered. In case you just woke up. No one paid attention. That's five times now. We've heard that in these short verses. No response. There is no one there when they call on Baal. And Asherah, there is no one with any power. Now it is a little disturbing as we read the story that Elijah is taunting. Uh, You know, you get a flag thrown in the NFL for that, right? (laughs) You're not supposed to taunt. Um, But Elijah's trying to get through a dense people, a people who've lost their way, who can't figure this out. He's trying to make the point. And in doing that, sometimes we have to be a little dramatic. Okay? Interesting. My son uh, Dino was with his music friends one night. They were—they go out to different uh, venues, sometimes bars where there's music that's being played live. That they uh, go. Sometimes their band is playing. Sometimes they just go hear other bands. And he was out with a group of his band friends, and they're sitting around the table, and different groups are playing there that evening. And at one point, one of the groups that got up to play, just playing secular songs, cover songs, popular songs. And in the middle of their set of songs, they paused and said, you know, we're glad to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Uh, and you know, just so you know, we love Jesus. We follow him with all our heart and soul, and we just wanted you to know that. And then went on and played another song and so on, just secular, popular songs they were playing. One of my son Dino's friends at the table began to mock that group just at his table saying, I think that's so hypocritical. Why are they here at a bar playing pop music when they claim to be Christians? And this, they're, you know, Christians are so ignorant and Christians are so uh, closed-minded and on and on he went. And when he got to that, Christians are so narrow-minded, closed-minded. Dino said, really? You think so? Tell me about that. What you know why do you think they're closed-minded and he went on and on with his rant and and dino said you know these guys are here at a bar playing secular pop music seems like they're pretty open minded sounds like you're pretty closed minded if you don't think they should do that you're the only one narrow-minded here and he just baited these guys took him down the path the whole table was laughing after a while But unless he had taken them down that path, really baited them, questioned them, gotten them really deep into the rant, the point would have been missed. That was extremely effective, my son, that night. Um, In the case here, we're going to continue, just continue reading the story. Verse 30, no one paid attention. Elijah has taunted them. He's making the point clear. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him, and he prepared an altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one from each of the tri- for each of the tribes, uh, descending from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came and said, "You must. Your name shall now be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold uh, a large amount of grain or seed here. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, laid it on the wood, and then he said, fill four large jars of water and pour it on the offering. And they did. And he said, do it again. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time until the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Before we go on, how many, just make sure you're with us in the story, how many uh, stones to build the altar? 12, very good, wow, better than my classes. Uh, How many barrels of water? Well, there were four barrels, three times, so how many does that make, math major, 12, business major there, we got 12 out of that, three times four, okay, yeah, 12, why 12? 12 tribes of Israel, right? If you know your Old Testament history well, Israel has split north and south There's only ten tribes in Israel. There's two tribes in Judah still worshiping Yahweh in Jerusalem. Ahab is the king of the ten tribes in the north. Even building this altar and pouring these barrels on is an object lesson that should smack them in the face. How many tribes are there in Israel? Uh, Twelve. Yeah, only ten right now. Something's not right in the way we're living our lives even at this point in history. Then... At the time of evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, we would think, but the Lord of Abram, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in heaven and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that Yahweh, you, Yahweh, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil and licked up all the water in the trench. All that remains is a crater here where the Lord's fire had fallen. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Now they get the point. They get the message. They see the power of God displayed in Elijah's life. At his prayer, power falls. I had a professor in seminary that, that, you know, fire from heaven is probably lightning, he said. And it was interesting because he was kind of always pushing back against these things being miracles. So it seems more natural. Interesting that if this is lightning, interesting, Baal's the storm god. When they call on Baal, nothing happens. When Elijah calls on Yahweh, the storm comes, right? There's only one true God here. And God often uses natural things in his way, in his timing, in his intensity. I mean, God sent rain to flood the earth. Rain's pretty natural, but the timing, the intensity of these things, whatever it is, God sends fire to uh, consume this altar, uh, reminds me of my son, Seth. I've used both his sons here, equal opportunity for my sons, so they don't feel one spoiled, one not. Uh, Seth is a scientist. Dino is a musician. Seth is working on a Ph.D. in physics right now, working with laser technology analysis, really crazy stuff I can't explain, so don't ask me too much about that. But uh, when he's working in his physics lab at uh, Arizona University, Uh, some of his friends will ask him, how can you be a Christian and a physicist? This doesn't make any sense at all. You study the physical world. You know better. My son's response is, how can you study the fascinating things we're studying and not be a Christian? How can you not think there's a creator who made all of this the way it is? It's beyond what any natural cause and effect could ever produce. I mean, prove to me how nature itself could do this, it breaks down. God created the world and makes these things true. Uh, Baal has proved to be powerless at this point. Yahweh proves that he is the one true source of power, and Elijah radically roots out falsehood. As soon as the people say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. This is a troubling passage to read. But Elijah had to root out that false worship that would constantly come back in Israel. He had to do it in a dramatic way. He had to demonstrate that there's only one true source of life and that's Yahweh. Worship other gods, you get exactly what those gods can produce, which is death and destruction. No power to produce life. No power to answer your prayer. No power to respond to your need. Elijah demonstrates that there is only one true God. Let me close here with a quote from Brett Merrick. He's the founder of the Reality Family of Churches and author of Big God, What Happens When We Trust Him. In his book, he writes, we undersell Jesus. We merely describe Jesus as a partner, Jesus as a means, Jesus as an escape. We seldom present Jesus as the source. This is what Dino and Seth, or I'm sorry, those are my sons, this is what these two young men I was talking with uh, a few weeks ago needed to understand. That's why we spent four hours talking, confronting, challenging, listening, uh, making sure we maintain that relationship with them, but keep pointing them toward the truth. We need to believe and declare today that there's one true God, one true source of power. Let's bow together in our prayer. Heavenly Father, We are indeed thankful. We are grateful that you are there to hear us. That when we have needs in our life, we can bring them to you and you produce in our lives. Help us to share that with the people around us. When we find that comfort and that strength in your word and your truth, help us to declare that to a world that is searching and seeking for power and life and truth and seeking aimlessly, blindly, stumbling along, falling down, because there is no truth. Help us to be clever, to be powerful, to be convincing in the ways in which we live our lives. For many here today, we may need to reevaluate whether we actually have any of this power in our lives, whether we are trusting you for this in our own lives, or whether we're just going downstream with the current with the current culture that's around us. Lord, I pray that we would take that stand, even as Elijah did, and it might influence those around us, like the people of Israel, and that we might reaffirm our faith in you today. May it change the way we think and live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me conclude with a benediction from God's word from the book of Ephesians. The blessing that Paul gives to this church in a very similar situation and culture to our church here today, he closes with these words. May you have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge we need power to know an infinite god we need power to understand an intimate infinite truth to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of god now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ, throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us today.